You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. A couple weeks ago, we were in Portland, Oregon for our Feast Portland Food Festival and uh, took the opportunity to record a couple of podcasts at Ava Jean's restaurant. First up, we got Carla Lolly Music and Emil Stonic from Bon Appetit uh, talking to Jason Phillips of Fine and Dandies about marijuana edibles. Not that we're advocating the use of illegal marijuana, but in Portland, it's legal. And they had these really kind of cool, slick dispensaries that are these chic little shops with cool branding and whatnot. And then Andrew Knowlton and I talked to Aaron Franklin from Franklin Barbecue in Austin, Texas. Arguably the best barbecue in America, which of course means the best barbecue in the world. Right now, let's listen to Carla and Emil talk with Jason Phillips of Fine and Dandies. All right, it's a beautiful morning in Portland, Oregon. The sun is out, the sky is blue, which is, uh, you know, enjoy these days, right? Definitely. Um, So one of the things that uh, is amazing about Oregon right now and is different from the last time I was here is that the recreational marijuana industry has really, like, taken off in the past one to two years. A lot has changed. And uh, Jason, I was hoping you could just give us an overview because like we happen to be in a state where this is the law um, and uh, that's exciting, but it it's different state by state. So mm-hmm. will you just sort of break down what what people will find when they walk into a dispensary these days in Oregon? Uh, people will find a variety of single dosed packages that you can buy that are up to 15 milligrams, one per day per person. Uh, and there are a multitude of them. And that's anyone you you don't need what you don't need to have a medical license. It's really anybody can just walk in. It's it's anybody over twenty one. Twenty one and over. So a little bit like going into a bar and ordering a drink. Exactly. But you can get one drink at one Period. bar per day. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, Emil and I had an opportunity yesterday to walk around and sort of see some of the the new the newness that's going on stopped into a couple dispensaries uh we were at pharma and we were at sarah which are both like really beautiful and had amazing customer service um yeah that that to me was the thing that was really really striking was like walking in and having somebody just kind of walk you through all of the products like you had just had kind of like a dedicated person who was talking you through like the different edibles the different like actual like cannabis flower offerings there was just like very it's like I, I feel like it was nicer than most wine stores that I go in. You yeah, know, that was like really knowledgeable. The the way that they were speaking about the effects and the flavors too was mm-hmm. very. It really reminded me a lot of the way a sommelier would describe wine or, or someone in a wine store, and also the array from you know there's chocolates and there's candies. There was a a Marionberry uh, candy there that was like a real. Oregon, you know, sort of nod to where we are. Very Portlandia. Very Portlandia in like a great way. So with the products that you guys create, it's it's beautiful chocolates and tarts and how, how like for us, it's really interesting how much this connects back to the food scene in general mm-hmm. um, and is less about, you know, uh, cannabis scene as it as it is about, you know, just del- making things taste delicious. So can you talk a little about how your products 
reflect the place that we're in? Uh, well, we try to get everything as local as possible. Uh, we've got a tartlet. One of our recreational products is a. Uh, it's got toffee hazelnuts on top of it that we all do by hand. All of our ingredients are made by hand. I.e., the cookie that's on the tartlet is is. I mean, we're we're making that all ourselves. We're rolling it out, cutting it, everything. Um, and so, hazelnuts are very Oregon yeah, uh, product. Trey Oregon, yeah. very much. Very and you're, so. um, you came into it also from a culinary background. Absolutely. So how does that, what was the inspiration for you? To start an edibles company or yeah. just to get into food in general? Or? Really transitioning from one type of food to another. Um, opportunity. I saw a lot of opportunity. Um, and when I got, I went to school at OSU for food science. And when I got out of school, I walked into a dispensary and I saw these things and I'd been a baker and a pastry guy for 20 plus years. So I saw them and I was like, wow, I could do a lot better than that. Mm. And honestly, that's kind of where I, that's where I started off. What are the challenges for making a dessert taste delicious that has cannabis in it? The medicine that you put into it, uh, if you're, you know, what medium it's in, is it keef? Is it, is it, you know, just ground up flour? Is it BHO? Is it CO2 extract? Yada, 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 on down the line. Um, some of the processes take out more of the aromatic uh, components out of the, out of the medicine, so to speak, uh, through the cooking effectively, mm -hmm. it evaporates all of the terpenes. That's what they're called. And and that's where the flavor comes from. That's where a lot of the flavor comes mm -hmm. from. So if you find something that has been really, really, really processed, that's, that's you're going to get less of a, of a cannabis flavor out of that into it. Plus you also, you know, working with chocolate and working with very large flavors is, is one of the things that we try to focus on as well as pairing with spices and things like that to kind of just to kind of make it even less intrusive right well yeah that was something that I was wondering it's like at what point are you trying to kind of play play with and play up and play to those like the actual flavors that are in the cannabis and versus kind of masking right. or right. hiding or trying to minimize because I, I feel like there's you know there's opportunity there but when you think about kind of your dorm room Duncan Hines dump right. and stir like <laughs> weed brownies it didn't that's taste a different, very good no, no. it's it's, mm -hmm. it's very much like you're you're trying to like chew swallow and and you, you just get, get it, it down as quickly exactly. as possible you know that's one of the benefits of using chocolate that's why chocolate is such a huge thing that and the fat aspect of it but uh, the the like the brownie it covers up a lot of that flavor and oftentimes the way that you would do the infusion of the medicine into the butter is is a long contact, mm. so therefore you're getting a higher uh, extraction. It, it, extraction, exactly. Yeah. It's like coffee or whatever. Longer it, it, it's in contact, the more of an extraction it's going to get. So on the extraction front, there are a lot of different ways to get the active components out of the flour and into the food product. So mm -hmm. you mentioned butter. Is that primarily what you guys no. use? No, not at all. Is it proprietary? Can you, can you uh, say? No, no uh, we, we use bu uh, BHO, which okay. is a butane hash oil. And that is one of those that has been processed so much because there is a heat element to it or a heat uh, step to it. And that will evaporate. That not only evaporates all the residual solvents, but it also evaporates the terpenes and it, you know, decarboxylizes. So it gives you a pretty neutral flavor mm. for make, making. As neutral as you can get. Right. 
But it's not going to taste like it smells, maybe. No. Well, the, the benefit of that is that it's such a high, high concentration. Uh, usually, they're anywhere from you know 60% to 80%, whatever, uh, depending. So the, the higher concentration you get, the more milligrams are in that. So the less you have to put in, yada, 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 yada. So, I mean, that, that really is, I think, a lot of the difference. That and the chlorophyll uh, that is transferred when you're soaking it in butter or when you're cooking it in butter and doing it that way. Right. Um, it, it, that has a, a distinct flavor as well. Plus, you're not really killing all of those terpenes that are in there. Gotcha. When you were coming into this, you, you, it seems like you kind of saw a hole in the marketplace. I know Portland is like, you know, kind of famously obsessed with the artisanal and the local in in food and so i mean were you kind of like betting that people absolutely absolutely that's that was my goal from i come from that kind of school of thought you know the restaurants that i worked at prior have all been you know a lot of farm table stuff so i i came with that i'm from portland as well so i mean it really it it just resonates with me so i'm I think part of the advantage of this being a state-by-state movement with state-by-state kind of regulations at this point means that within each market, like the the purveyors and the creators of these products are are have to stay local. Like right now, a product that you make in Oregon stays in Oregon. So I and the way that they reflect the place that they're in, um, I think, is sort of creating this, you know, small business. Uh, opportunity and you know do you see it the same way yeah I see I definitely see that as an opportunity I mean a lot of people aren't aren't taking it as an opportunity but you know I mean uh, I definitely do yeah and do you um, do you worry about big business sort of realizing the opportunity that is that is here um, completely yeah. yeah absolutely I mean we've noticed a lot of yesterday one of the shops that we were in had the the Marley natural which I think is one of the bigger sort of celebrity branded marijuana mm-hmm. products out there but you know it's like Snoop's got a product and Whoopi Goldberg's got a product and you know it's just a matter of time it seems mm-hmm. like do you worry about competing on that scale uh, no no, <laughs> I don't. I don't care. They can. They're going to come anyway. You know. I mean, it's it's really they're, they're coming. You know it. So the plan is, you know, build up your business well enough so that when they do come in, you're the one that they pick and done. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's kind of seems like the cool thing about this particular moment right now is that you know they know mm-hmm. that if they're getting something that is mass produced they're getting a fundamentally different product and maybe it's cheaper or maybe quote unquote consistent but they also can pay a premium for a higher quality product that is you know handmade and you know the kind mm-hmm. of thing that you're offering how much has branding come into the way that you package your product and how you choose what food products to make like you guys are much more on the sweet end of things i've noticed a lot more um savory products out there too uh, the folks from Canavore um, dropped by yesterday and had some 
uh, smoked salmon that had been infused <laughs> with the oil, which wow. I thought was, as far as like an Oregon product, to yeah. have like a, that <laughs> was amazing. Um, do you see yourself moving over to savory or like what, what do you, what do you want to do? We definitely have had our ideas. We've got a million ideas and they keep coming and it's just one of those things. So yeah, I mean, it's, a, we're keeping that door open. I'm not saying that that's exactly where we're going, but we are definitely keeping that door open because it's, you know, as, as people get used to it, you know, one of the things that I've seen is, is the candy and the sweet is, is the most accessible and it's the most approachable because people are used to that via the brownies or, right. or whatever, the hard candies. Um, so the savory isn't really taken off yet, but I, I foresee that it will, you know, once people get used to this, because not everybody likes it. You know, you don't want to eat a candy bar. Or yeah, whatever. you got to think about your waistlines. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so, not all fun and games. You know, I mean, you're talking about kind of having all of these ideas and, and being able to, you know, and testing them and, and seeing what's up. But with this, is is there more of a process? If you're like, oh, we want to experiment with a shortbread cookie, does it then have to go through some kind of regulatory mm-hmm. bot? Like, how long is it from, like, you having the idea, baking the product, to it being in the store? <laughs> if we have the packaging, it goes. Oh. Uh, you know, no, that's that. Um, it, there's a lot of testing involved. That's really the pause in the system is mm-hmm. is waiting on the testing to come back. But beyond that, it's it's pretty much right now. It's the wild west still up until October first when a lot of the legislation starts to uh, kick in. A lot of the rules start to kick in on the packaging, on the labeling, and whatnot. So right now, as long as you've got everything, all your all your T's crossed and your eyes dotted, then you can keep you can actually put out whatever right now. So it's a little bit like having a calorie count on the nutritional information label or your wine alcohol by volume percentage on the bottle. These are things that consumers can just check the label, Mm kind of know what they're getting, know and I think part of that customer service part where there's someone if if this is your first time having it is kind of giving you a recommendation on how much to enjoy mm-hmm. um but i guess you don't want to make it too delicious right because like you can't <laughs> you can't have seconds on some of these things um it depends on who you are <laughs> it really just depends i'm curious to know what are some of the things that you're selling right now and we have tartlets mm. which are a s'more um we've got a s'more and a hazelnut right now uh this, the hazelnut has a shortbread it's got a layer of caramel it's got milk chocolate and then it's got the uh Toffee hazelnuts mm. and the s'more is a uh, graham cracker, milk chocolate, marshmallows. Uh, those are very popular. Those are all recreation, recreationally dosed at 15 milligrams. We have an instant chai and an instant cocoa mm. that mm. we've come out come up with uh, that is recreationally dosed as well. Uh, we have just come out with a chocolate dipped shortbread and a chocolate chip dipped graham cracker, all of which, of course, the shortbread and the graham cracker are made by us. And so they're pretty magnificent as far as flavor goes. Our chocolate bars, all of our toppings and everything. So if you've got the strawberry sundae bar has a pizzelle that we make and, you know, uh, all we try to make all of the toppings that go onto it. So if there's a cookie on there or if there is a candied orange zest or candied mm-hmm. bacon, we make all of that. We've got a hound dog, which is based on Elvis's favorite sandwich, which is a peanut butter chip, banana chip, and candied bacon. Ooh, I bet Elvis would have liked that, actually, yeah, that from what I know good. about him. He'd probably be yeah. pretty open. Yeah, see, uh, I just really want, I want, I want you guys to sell them in like a pack of 10, but only one of them actually has 
cannabis in it oh. so that you could then just you know you could eat the you could eat the one but that it you knew be... was active and then you could just <laughs> snack after that but without... it would be clear which one was which right I, otherwise I, I, you have to eat the whole package to find out i kind of like that <laughs> it's, it's kind of a surprise a russian roulette model oh interesting <laughs> it's kind of like what is it cracker jack you know you get right. a surprise a treat you, know, right. you just don't know what it is right you only get just one um and have you thought about do you think there will be a day when you know, like going into Salt and Straw or Stumptown or any other of, um, you know, these sort of locally recognized brands that you'll have a fine and dandies candy shop that is all yours. Hopefully someday. That's pretty amazing to yeah, think. That would be really cool. Really cool. It's like having your own vineyard where you sell wine there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great. Um, yeah. It's going to be way down the road, I think, because right. I don't think we're there. I think that there are a lot of companies that are doing this. Uh, because there is so little regulation at this very moment, you can start pumping out and see what hits, right. you know, and it's kind of like a market research period at this point. Very cool. So this is fascinating. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you for having us. Emil, my comrade. Thank you, Carla. All right. That was Carla Lawley Music and Emil Stonic talking to Jason Phillips from Fine and Dandies. Now, Andrew Knowlton and me talking to Aaron Franklin of the world-famous Franklin Barbecue. Aaron, I love that we all have to get on a plane to Portland, Oregon to get you on the podcast. It's because you guys don't come to Texas. <laughs> we do <laughs> come to Texas. <laughs> okay, you do once or twice a year. It's yes. true. Yes. We would have come to Texas as an, just to do the podcast as an excuse. Well, you should have. Which is basically you always go to Texas and we go to South by Southwest the last several years in March, which is basically just an excuse to eat and go to Franklin yeah, yeah, Barbecue. Yeah. But that is that week is so hard to do anything. Oh my gosh, it's an impossible week to get around. It's yeah. We'll talk about so, so South by Southwest, which in the last few years they've introduced a food component. Originally it was music way back in the day, then like the tech sort of thing and film. Yeah. And what's that like on your side as a business owner? Um, from my perspective, well, early on in the when we opened up the barbecue trailer and then the building. March was always kind of, you know, like every year I'd build a, I would build a barbecue pit and we're like, oh, we got to get ready for March. We got to get ready for March. And that was always kind of the jump. So all year we worked for March. And now that we. That was like the evil Knievel ramp. Yeah, yeah, totally. And now it's just the same thing all the time. And it really. Because you're, it's just crazy busy all Because the time. it's just bonkers all D the time. Does Franklin Barbecue have a downtime? Um, there's about. A week or two after school starts at the beginning of September, so right about now, oh, yeah. um, it kind of gets a little weird. So the line goes from like four hours to just an hour or yeah, something? pretty much. Okay. So Which that's is, that's when you should go to Franklin Barbecue is the first couple of weeks in September. Absolutely. So and, book your trip for next yeah. year, kids. <laughs> yeah, do it now. No, no, when was the first time you went to Franklin? Because you years ago wrote it up as, talk about the restaurant, the right, article so, and stuff. And I actually remember the first time you came in. Right. It, wow. it, it was actually... Because I was like, oh my God, what's that guy doing here? <laughs> it's a weird connection because I was uh, coming into town for the Austin Wine and Food Festival. The first year yeah, that ever happened. Yeah, it was the Live Fire event. And the connection with this... 2011. 2011, was it? Yeah. Mm, yeah, it was the first year we maybe. started You publishing. opened in 2000... December of 2009. 09. And then we moved into the building a year later. Right. So I had... The first time I went to Franklin Barbecue was when Aaron had the, the tr uh, food truck. Yeah. Uh, which I was down there and a friend took me there. Oh, okay. But the funny connection with with, with Portland one. Feast, where we are right now, and and Franklin was Mike Thielen, who's one of the co-founders of Feast Portland, mm -hmm. told me, 
you know, Aaron opened the brick and mortar, let's go. There's somebody waiting in line for us. Because even back then, there was probably a 30, 40, maybe an hour. Uh, probably about an hour, hour, hour and a half, I bet. Uh, and I went in, and John Besh from New Orleans That's was right. there. And uh, that was the first time I'd had the brick and mortar stuff. But what I found fascinating was Aaron's story also, and the fact that here was a guy who's family had dabbled in barbecue a little bit. Your they were uncle, dabblers? Yeah, they were dabblers. Your yeah. uncle or your, your uh, dad? My mom and dad actually ran a place for a few years when I was probably nine or ten years old. What do you mean by ran a place? So they had, they had bought an existing barbecue joint down in Bryan, which is where I grew up. And um, yeah, I think it took them about two years to realize that... This geez, is not the life for This them. is a terrible way to live. I didn't pick up on that. I just thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. but, then, but then him basically starting... like smoking in the backyard just with friends like mm-hmm. like you and i would adam and what and what were you smoking at that point what what sort of contraption oh i had bought about a hundred dollar just a little offset cooker at the local hardware store a little pellet guy or no 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 just charcoal just charcoal right yeah just yeah. or like wood yeah. yeah you know that's what we have down in texas um and and i guess my biggest question you've had this amazing success I see you with Nobu on American well, Express. Nobu did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, President did. President Obama eating there is when you were in your backyard, or even when you opened your food truck. Did you ever, in your wildest imagination, see yourself as like becoming literally a barbecue god? Well, I um yes, you I know, saw of it. Of course, <laughs> I, I didn't really think of it like that, but right. I, I certainly thought of it. You know, of course, you, you're sitting in a backyard drinking beers by yourself or countless hours staring at a fire right. you're like oh that would be really neat to have a barbecue joint one day oh that would be so cool to do this or do that and really just kind of like had this huge pipe dream going on for i mean it was probably probably took like 10 years before we even opened up the trailer that's like me on the putting green like oh and for the masters it's gonna <laughs> oh, like this could happen um so I kind of like, you know, night after night would just like lay in bed and kind of visualize like how I wanted to, you know, open a place, how I wanted it to be, you know, like thinking about the food and like building barbecue pits and all this stuff. Right. So I mapped out that aspect of it, but I never asked, I never even once considered like on a personal level, like what the side effect of all that would be. Right. So I never, I'm still trying to, I'm still wondering. But actually. did you, was there a point where you had a... I'm sure you can't even, I don't know, can you eat brisket anymore? No, no, no. You can't no. touch it. I, I, I do sometimes, but it's, you know, in the mornings at the restaurant, I have a bite of this, a bite of that, and I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit this, I think, you know, blah, blah, blah. I critique. I'm really good at troubleshooting. Was there a point where you had it, though, back in the day, where you're like, you know what? This is pretty good. Like, I'm pretty good at smoking a brisket. Um, yeah, yeah. There were definitely some times in the backyard. Really? Or like, probably two years before we opened up the trailer, and I didn't really know exactly what I'd done wrong. I thought I'd really messed it up. It turns out I just overcooked it and turns out that's the key to brisket. Like I just (laughs) randomly stumbled across, you know, cooking something for 14 hours. When people undercook brisket, it drives me nuts. I'm like, why don't you just leave it in for two more hours? It's just, I'm like sawing through it. I'm like, like, oh. Patience. Yeah. Just be patient with this stuff. Just do nothing. Just be lazy. Just keep sitting there. (laughs) Drinking. Um, But yeah, there were some times in the backyard like, wow, that is, wow. That's pretty cool. Can I ask if, I, if we can get into the more nerdy level of barbecue? Sure, because let's do it. Obviously, a lot of barbecue in Texas, Austin, all, everywhere, and the famous places, the Kreutzes of the world and whatnot. Um, I, I don't quite understand the differentiations between a good brisket and great brisket. If 
it seems like you get the big piece of meat, and we're not talking about you know boutique grass-fed meat from a particular. Mm-hmm. And then you put a bunch of salt and a lot of pepper on it, and you put it in a smoker for fourteen hours, and like, doesn't it all come out the same no matter where you go? Oh gosh, <laughs> seriously, I'm like, it's not like you're doing something. Like, uh, restaurants and other chefs like they're like creating special sauces and flavor combinations and plating in a different way. Like, isn't brisket brisket? Well, so not all briskets just brisket. I mean, of course, the you know the feed has a lot to do with it. The breed has a lot to do with it. The wood has a tremendous amount to do with it. But the airflow of the cooker has a lot to do with it. It's just so it's like a million different variables just kind of floating around out there. And you kind of have to think of a brisket as kind of like a, an ongoing timeline. Like you've got you got this fire going. You've got fat that's got to break down. You've got collagens that need to break down. You've got all these things that have to go on, but they all have to meet up at the same spot mm-hmm. by the end of the cook. So then you kind of think of that and it's like, okay, well then I've got smoke. Well, that's a really strong flavor usually. Well, how do you get a more delicate, this is how I look at it at mm-hmm. least. How do you get a more delicate flavor out of that? Well, obviously, obviously it's a higher combustion temperature. That's when you get like the vanillas and like all these like, you know, more like kind of clean flavors out of oak specifically, which is what we use post oak. Um, but then you think about all that smoke and something's going to cook for that long. You're probably not going to taste a tablespoon of like cumin right yeah. like it you never but also I imagine you don't want too much smoke right well you don't yeah. want too much smoke and that's where that higher combustion temperature comes yeah. in because that's kind of well we don't have enough time for this conversation yeah. but you know that's where you get kind of cleaner flavors so yeah, then okay. if you think about it like that and then of course we're not going to put sauce on it because right well geez man we're in texas no, yeah texas you know, hey, apparently, get a rope. ladies and gentlemen you do not sauce your meat not maybe at, not well, at least <laughs> certainly not beforehand ever no but you, do, but you could dip you could dip dipping's okay are you good at when going to another place, tasting a brisket, especially like in, in New York now, there's a lot of barbecue places like Brisket home, Town and Hometown. Hometown does a good job. When I you, still haven't eaten there. Uh, when you taste brisket at other sort of reputable places, can you sort of tell what they've done or how they cook it? Can you sort of guess? Oh, absolutely. You can... Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what I've gotten really good at, actually. Tasting something, be like, oh, yeah. Blah, blah. Who else does brisket really well these days, either in Texas or elsewhere, in your mind? Is there anyone? <laughs> well, I don't really eat a lot of barbecue. Oh, that's true. I don't really go out and like, try stuff because yeah. it doesn't, eh, I guess it doesn't mean the same thing as it used to. Um, you ruined yourself. I mean, it's almost like your curse is you can't eat barbecue anymore. So I have a number of friends who have a big green egg, which is becoming more and more popular. It's the giant ceramic egg that you can yep. long cook for at home and you can get a pretty good consistent temperature in those right yes yes and very pricey most of the brisket i've had from friends who have made the brisket and are very proud of the brisket who shall remain nameless it, who shall remain <laughs> nameless and i don't think they listen to the food cast um it's dry it's yours is ridiculously succulent and fatty okay and just so like it, i feel i feel like guilty eating yours theirs i'm like Neh. okay let's dig a little deeper when you say dry do you mean dry and flaky and crumbly, or do you mean chalky and tacky? Like, what's its mouth feel? I mean, it's it's, it's that kind Does of. Does it have like kind it's of that like kind a, of denseness of grain? There's not any sort of fatty succulence to it, and maybe if there's fat on top, it's it's not like infusing the meat. It's mm-hmm. like segregated. You know what I mean? But the meat itself is kind of a one note. Just there's a tense, just chewy and cardboardy. Yeah, it's probably not cooked all the way. It's yeah. probably not tender. Is it? In, and about, it probably didn't cook long enough. And what about temperature? They probably cooked at too low of a temperature mm. and um, didn't too low really of a temperature. too low of a temperature and ran out of fat before the collagen broke down. 
There's that little timeline thing going on. So, so if I'm wow. standing in line, so at apparently it is more complicated. And maybe they were fat side up and not fat side down. It might have dried out the bottom. That's like a lesson, lesson in life. Yeah. Fat side up, man. Trial and error. Trial and error. So if, if you're at Franklin Barbecue and you're waiting in line and, and then you go up, what's what's the order when you order the brisket? Is it to get the deckle in, the fat end? or You can just say we have a real specific order that I cut things. Okay. And, if, you know, I mean, obviously we start off in a trailer and it was me and my wife. Right. Like everything in that restaurant, like I am the center of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like every position started from the way that I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's not like we like sat around like, well, how are we going to do this? Like, it just all happened supernatural with the way right. I did it. So, and the way I do it is you can order whatever you want. And if something looks good or if maybe something's not looking real good and somebody comes in like, oh, I want, a, I want four pounds of lean brisket from the inside. Like, ooh, are you sure? <laughs> Why don't I throw this other stuff yeah. in there? What do you think about that? Oh, that looks great. Well, that's actually the fatty. Oh, really? Right. Like, well, yeah, we'll think of it more like a ribeye versus like a sirloin. You know, and then you kind of just like maybe try to talk people into what you think you want them to eat because it looks good. You know, because you want people to get the best thing possible. And that know? is the fatty end. And that's, well, well it depends. See, I kind of prefer lean myself. Really? Well, okay, wait, wait, before we get it, can you break down, so to talk about the actual cut of brisket and how there are sort of two sort of ends and how they fit together. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So like, explain a brisket in general, like well, where it comes from and so all that. So for those that comes from a cow. Know, it comes from a cow. It's yeah. beef. Yeah. Well, uh, that is not so obvious to everyone, necessarily. No, no. Yeah. People ask that all the time. Yeah. Especially like in the early days when we first started, we'd be like, brisket, is that pork? <laughs> Your whole hog is really good. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's definitely beef. <laughs> you can get a brisket from other animals too, but in Texas we're cooking beef. Um, it's two pectoral muscles, and if you look at a cow, um, over a podcast you can't see this, but I'm actually holding my arm out. Um, it's kind of right here, and then that's... You're grabbing seat. your chest muscle above your heart. Yep, and um, so that's the lean part, and then the fatty part is up here in the shoulder. Oh. Um, and that seam that you guys see at the top of a brisket is actually kind of the armpit of the cow. Oh, okay. Um, right, where it comes together. Where it kind of comes together. And the lean side of a brisket, there are two muscles. One's a little fattier. It's got more marbling. Um, and then the other one's more lean, and that's kind of like between the skin and the rib cage. But when you're typically, if you're buying brisket like at, at a market for the home cook, does the butcher or the meat counter do they typically separate those two cuts or well, do they keep them together? Because how big is a full brisket? A full brisket could be anywhere between. I've seen them as small as four pounds, mm-hmm. but that's because we don't use growth hormones yeah. in ours, and sometimes they get really small. Mm. Um, but probably between like 12, 12 to twenty pounds, oh, I would wow. say. Um, so, but you got to think about it like just because it starts off as 20 pounds, that doesn't mean you're going to actually cook down. end yes. up with 20 pounds. You'll but, probably end up with seven or eight pounds once it's cooked. But if you're going to a butcher and you want, say you want only part of the brick, you don't want 14 well, pounds. Well, you don't ever want to break yeah. one up because they don't okay. really, one doesn't really cook right without the other. Oh, That's kind of how it works. Because the lean so, side needs a fatty side. Yeah, and, exactly. So you really do want to you know, get a whole brisket. And it's called a packer cut. But you know, back in the day, you go to a grocery store and they would just... You know, it looked like a London broil. I mean, it's like the flat with all the fat cut off of it. Right. That's yeah. not even worth your time. But, that's, but, that's terrible. Wouldn't it inherently cook unevenly if you've got the fat side where the muscles are kind and of woven with friend. all the fat and collagen <laughs> and then the lean side? And so how do you cook them together? Um, well, that's the tricky part about cooking a brisket. So it's harder than you making it sound. You're like, you just said anyone can do it. I don't know. Like anybody anybody <laughs> could build a fire. No, but it's, it's like asking, yeah, Dostoevsky or Picasso, like, is he easy, easy to write and paint? Like, yeah, 
it's kind of yeah, easy. Okay, good yeah. point. I can't. I can't paint. <laughs> no, but it's like it's like roasting a chicken. The breast is always going to be done before the legs and stuff you want, and or a duck right. or whatever. It's like that's well, and that's where you get creative with how you're cooking. You know, you put the maybe the fatty part. You know, some people kind of think about like the fatty part of a brisket, like the fat insulates the meat from the heat, uh, but fat conducts heat quicker than protein. So mm-hmm. then you might get creative with the kind of cooking that you've got. Um, is the heat coming from the bottom? You may actually want that fat. You may turn the brisket upside down, which is actually technically right side up if it's, you know, anywho. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I mean, I think you need to get a little creative. And, and both muscles do not cook at the same mm. rate. Can you talk about, um, we were in Austin last March and you brought us to the back of your shop where you actually have the smokers. And I was just like, wow, these look like giant black metal submarines like 30 feet long in this weird screen porch room just filled with smoke 120 and degrees, degrees and that was so in march yeah. so i don't like, how does one per, like how do you that's someone's job to be back there all day unfortunately yeah it in is, the smoke and heat yeah in this weird screen room it's really hot it's how, not how, very smoky though how big are the smokers i thought it was pretty smoky <laughs> that's because yeah. you're used to it how big <laughs> so how many smokers do you have and how big are they so there's five cookers uh, you four call cookers? Them, cookers. Okay. They're made out of 1,000-gallon propane tanks. And the cook chamber on a 1,000-gallon propane tank, depending on manufacturer, um, is roughly 16 feet by 42.5-inch diameter. So each one of those will fit 24 briskets. Um, and we've got four of those. And then we, the fifth one, we actually had to cut about 20, probably about, well, maybe about 30 inches out of it, I guess, to clear the doorway when we moved in <laughs> uh, to the smokehouse. Um so that one's called Shorty now. It used to be right on <laughs> And these cookers, you designed yourself. We built everything. You built everything. Yeah, some of them I built but, in my backyard. But from existing propane tanks. Yeah, I would yeah. just drive up to like Oklahoma and pick up a thousand gallon propane tank that I found on Craigslist. Give a guy 300 bucks, turn around, drive straight back, start cutting it. Wow. And um, so we've got five of those propane cookers. Uh, we've got one giant rotisserie that is what we do ribs on because kind of, you know, now that we've reached maximum capacity at the restaurant, now I'm starting to like split like ribs go on one cooker, brisket goes on one cooker, sausage goes in another cooker. And, um, so we've got those five cookers just for brisket, but in the mornings, you know, turkeys will go on one cooker, beef ribs will go on another cooker on a Saturday. And then when did, when did you start to diversify with all these different cuts? And um, Probably when we moved into the building, because mm-hmm. it, when we moved into the building, everything was in a back, it was in a, like a trailer out in the backyard. So, and we cooked 24 hours a day then, and we still do, but um, I couldn't cook enough ribs. Yeah. So we added turkey to try to offset that. Right, because I remember do, the original do, menu was turkey, and then you had the sausage. Well, we didn't have turkey. It, you didn't? No, no, no. That okay. came after the after we moved into the building. Is that okay. whole turkey? Or turkey breast. Turkey breast. Yep. And now we do about 20 to 30 of those a day. So Which what is, what, what is the typical order? Do people want to mix, or do they just want the brisket because that's what they've read about, or do you try to eh. you try to coax them into trying a little everything? Well, when I cut lunch every day, um, you know, I could kind of guide it. Like if we needed to sell more turkey, you know, you throw a couple free pieces on. And you're like, oh man, what's that? Ooh, that looks good. Yeah. And then before you know it, everybody's ordering turkey, or you know, it's like, <laughs> Crafty. yeah, you know, it's like, oh, well, that looks really good. Or if something does look good, then you're like, man, this looks really great. You should have a couple slices of this too. From what Andrew told me, you're here by yourself in Portland? I've got one person with me. He's not a cook, and he doesn't slice meat at lunch. Does he just um, hang out with you? Is your, he's the manager of the restaurant. Man? It's my, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, he's my best friend, Benji, from high school. We've oh, been Benji. hanging out since we were like yeah. 14. Benji's been working for you forever. 
Yeah, well, he worked for NPR in New York for a brief period. Oh, okay. And then he moved back and started managing the restaurant. Okay. But he helped us build the trailer. I mean, yeah, he's so, been around for a real long time. But you're doing a big brisket feast tomorrow? Yep. Or, and you're doing everything yourself? Uh, Benji's an extra set of hands, moral support, and crowd control. So, so what are you making tomorrow, and how, what's the process, for instance, when you're on the road like this? How do you do it? How do you take Franklin Barbecue on the road? Well, it's tricky, and I don't travel, by the way. Like, I know I do two off-site cooks a year. Well, I do stuff in Texas because I can drive a cooker over there, but yeah. <clears throat> I do a pop-up in Chicago every July 4th weekend. It's just simply called Aaron's Barbecue. <laughs> um, and I do Feast. I've done Feast five years in a row. Last year, we built a cooker. A friend of mine that has a barbecue joint here in town drove down. It's his cooker. Uh, we built it for him, but I get to use it once a year. So I have a barbecue pit up here. I've got firewood up here, you know, from my friend's barbecue joint, uh, Podna's over in Killingsworth. And, um, you know, everything else, we bring everything else. So how many briskets are you doing for tomorrow? Cooking 18 briskets, 18 racks of pork ribs, six pork butts, and I froze and brought sausage with us. But how wow. big is this smoker? So it's two cook chambers on one trailer. So it's two separate cookers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably about 20 feet long, I guess. And so what time will you get all that started this afternoon or evening? We, I'm going to start trimming meat at 4 o'clock this afternoon. And I'm buying myself enough time to like not rush. Like I, yeah. I'm normally like super rushed when it comes to these things. So we're just kind of, you know, we've got a, a place that we're cooking and everything. So it'll, it should be pretty convenient. Looks great. Cookers out there. Got to stack up some wood and split some wood and stuff here this afternoon. But um, yeah, we'll start prepping about four this afternoon. I look to have my briskets on at 8.30 tonight, 8.30 or 9. And then all night the ribs will go on. Or I guess the pork butts will go on at 11.30. Um, the pork ribs are going to go on at 5.30 a.m. And uh, yeah, that's when, much when does the brisket come off? Hopefully it'll come off around 1 p.m. When do you go to sleep? I won't. No, you mean literally? Yeah, no, I'm not going to sleep till tomorrow night. This, this is, this is. I old, don't understand that. This is old school, Aaron Franklin, because when I met him, he would have a lawn chair, and you would. How many espressos would you drink over the night while you were smoking biscuit? Oh, jeez, like probably, twenty, or like something? seven or seven yeah. or eight, probably. And you would do the. But they were small ones. I was doing a hand lever Pavoni machine then. Uh. <laughs> now we've got a. Now we've got a much better. Machine. But he would do the crossword puzzle and many of them. What's your hop? What do you do now? I run like hell and oh, just work, work, work. Okay. Um, I don't really cook a lot of those overnight shifts anymore. Thank goodness. Right. Um, that's no way to live. Right. We have a little girl, so I'm trying, like, I kind of like You it. have a little girl who does it for you? Yeah, she does it for me. Um, <laughs> get them started. She's really young. good. She's two and a half years old, but, man, she is, she is really good. You can get away with anything in Texas. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> You've had amazing success with this one store in Austin. Mm -hmm. How do you resist, especially with barbecue, expanding and I'm sure you get asked all the time from Vegas to New York, come open a restaurant. How do you, is that ever going to happen? Or when do you, you know, how do you resist saying yes? Um, I resist saying yes by simply reminding myself that I don't want to. <laughs> we work way too hard at this one place to keep it like almost as good as it can be. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's not ever perfect because it could always be better. Right. Um, but man, if we did another one, oh my God, it would be horrible. Horrible. So you're saying you will never open another Aaron Franklin barbecue until spot. we sell our restaurant to Applebee's. It won't happen. <laughs> Do you know how much college costs these days, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to look into it. Actually, we, she, we may she, have to she's sell not soon. going to college. She's going straight to straight to the Family smoker business. room. Yeah. Oh boy. 
Would you I, let her go into the family business? If she wants to, yeah. but I mean, I wouldn't, would never ask her. Right. I would never try to like guide her in that direction. She can do whatever the heck she wants to do as long as she's happy. Um, all right, before we let you go uh, trim some meat, we're going to do our lightning round questions. Ooh. Either or. Um, we got a bunch. I'll go with the first one, Nolton. We're going to have a fun tag team. Yeah. Uh, Shinerbach or Lone Star? Lone Star, for sure. Can or bottle? Oh, can. Can. Okay. Tall boy. Tall boy. Yeah. Right. Good answer. Are you good at the riddles under the caps? Oh, boy. It depends on how many Lone Stars I've had. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Veracruz or Taco Deli? Ooh, Veracruz, but I love Taco Deli. See, those are two different things. Um, yeah, it depends on how much time you've got to wait. Okay, Veracruz takes a little to. longer. Takes a little what's longer. Your, what's your order at each place? Um, probably just carne asada. It, but it, with Taco Deli, it depends on what time you get there because they don't serve lunch tacos, and I'm not a big fan of like eggy things. Oh, you're not no. a fan of egg. I don't like egg in my tacos. Interesting. At all. I've only been to Veracruz for breakfast tacos. Right. Well, we've had migas tacos yeah, yeah. and fish fish tacos. They do a good fish taco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've never had meaty ones. But their sauces are, man, their sauces are so good at Veracruz. Yeah, those are delicious. Ugh. Um, Bourdain or Barack? Ooh. Both who have been. To... Both who have been to the restaurant. Um, to 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 what? Just preference or I don't know. to hang you out to me. have a beer with? I don't know. I don't you know. tell me. You're in the driver's seat. Jeez. Who is a better orderer slash eater? Oh, Bourdain, yeah. definitely. I bet Barack wanted his lean, not too much. He's a pretty fit He guy. actually ordered just whatever. He's like, what What? What do you have? What What can, <laughs> What? can? Uh, that looks good. Uh, ooh. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I'd probably rather hang out with Bourdain. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, but they're both pretty. I mean, I've they're actually both, hung out with both of yeah, them is the yeah, weird thing. They're yeah. both incredibly like smart and like have... A, a knowledge of so many things beyond their immediate scope of you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um, Barack because there's a lesser chance of me ever hanging out with that person again. How about this? How about dinner with Barack, but then going out drinking afterwards with Bourdain? Yeah, that's perfect. Good <laughs> night. Uh, <laughs> potato salad or coleslaw? Ooh, it de- would depend on this. See, but man, I've got lameo answers <laughs> for you guys. I'm real sorry. So if it was just if it was brisket yeah then it would be potato salad if okay. it was pork then that pork definitely needs some coleslaw on top okay. of yeah preach um misfits or minor threat Ooh, man that's a tough one um i'm gonna go with minor threat yeah yeah thank you you know my background on this stuff i know you like the punk rock it's true all right you're gonna put you on the spot with this one uh houston or dallas houston for sure <laughs> no question about it not a fan of dallas uh, you know, it's got its little pockets that are fun, but it's not quite my scene. Okay. Uh, Vans or Doc Martens? Vans. Vans. You were you, you were you a skater back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I also wore a lot of Dr. Martens, but um, I don't Do- know. Doctor. Doctor Doctor, to you. doctor, doctor. <laughs> um, I like uh, some lightweight footwear. They're more non-slip, too. Most important question, butter or olive oil? Jeez, oh, butter. butter. All right. Uh, Aaron Franklin, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. Heck yeah. Thanks, man. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Plus, we're now offering online cooking classes with Sir Latab that feature our recipes. Sign up at bonappetit.com slash cooking classes and learn how to make everything from pork chops to molten chocolate cake. Thanks for listening.